Chapter 6 of Down in Water Street by Samuel Hadley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 6 Bringing My Brother to Jesus. That night, right on the corner of Broadway and 32nd Street, I was ordained to preach the everlasting gospel, and have never doubted it for an instant. I have never stood before an audience without that vision inspiring me. If I can only make these people, dear Jesus, know who you are, they will love you too. I have since been ordained by my beloved Methodist Episcopal Church, and I feel highly honored, but I have always believed that I was ordained of God that night. The great question was then, what are you going to do? Hadn't you better go and tell your brother? My brother was not only a hard-drinking man, but also an unbeliever in everyone but himself. I hesitated. My dear brother had paid out thousands of dollars to get me out of scrapes and help me when the officers of the law were after me. No, the devil said. You'd better go slow and keep quiet. If you are a Christian, they'll see it soon enough. The blessed Holy Spirit said, Tell it, tell it, tell it. I can hear the message yet. I arrived at my brother's house, but with my hand on the gate I stopped for at least ten minutes in another final struggle with Satan. Oh, the supreme importance of those moments. Had he been successful, probably these pages never would have been written. I believe a crisis comes in every redeemed man's life inside of the first twenty-four hours. I went up the stoop and rang the bell, and my brother's wife let me in. My brother was at home that Sunday night, probably the first Sunday evening in years. He was always at the club or some saloon until late, but the Lord had caused him to stay home that night, knowing that I was to be saved and would come to see him. I often think how it might have been had the devil succeeded in getting me to frustrate God's plans on that particular night. I said, Harry, I was saved tonight at Jerry McCauley's mission, but I feel awful weak and hope you won't criticize me too closely. My brother arose from his chair and walked away from me to the opposite side of the parlor and seemed to be looking at a picture on the wall. As he turned his face slightly, I saw something shining on his cheek. It was very embarrassing, and his good, kind wife said, Brother Hop, you'll stay all night, won't you? You can go up at any time. The room is ready. I wanted to go just then. I went up and removed my shoes and coat and fell on my knees. Dear Jesus, I said, you know you have saved me, and now I want you so to fill me with love and yourself that I'll never, never fall. Never, never. I kept saying, never, never. You can do it, Jesus, if you want to, and I'll stay here until you do. Reader, somehow I felt that I was getting my case, and I held on for I don't know how long, praying. Then, after a while, the room was lightened up with a halo of glory. I cried, I shouted, I wept for joy, and I went to sleep with tears raining from my eyes. I had not had any natural sleep for weeks, and I slept like a child. The devil could not trouble me while asleep, but I think he sat at the footboard waiting for me to wake, for on opening my eyes the first thing that came to my mind was, It's all a dream. You've had them again. I jumped up and threw open the blinds. It was the most glorious morning I ever saw. I looked out on a new world, people, horses, birds, everything brand new, and I have never seen the old world since. I went to work the next day telling the story to all who would listen, and have been telling it ever since. I have spoken in saloons, dives, dance houses, stale beer dives, and houses of ill fame. I have told it in all the leading colleges of the land, and in many theological seminaries, and never was sneered at in my life anywhere. I have the same story for all, the boundless, deathless love of Jesus for the sinner. It never has failed and never will. 
I believe that both believers and unbelievers would sooner hear that old, sweet story from a loving heart than any other story on earth. The forgeries troubled me and hung over me like a pall. After praying over it much, I took Jesus with me one day and went down to Vesey Street to this man's office to see him. I knew that they were collecting evidence to send me up. The gentleman was out when I went in, and I took a chair and waited for him. Soon he came hurrying into the room. Mr. Blank, I said, I want to speak with you. Hadley, are you here? he asked in astonishment. Sit down, I said, I have something to tell you. He seated himself, and instead of telling him anything about our trouble, I began to tell him how Jesus had saved me. I didn't want to drink any more. Before I had talked three minutes, he began to weep. Mr. Hadley, he said, I don't know anything about the kind of religion you have got, but I would give all I am worth if I had what you have. Now go ahead and do all the good you can, and I will never trouble you. The cloud was lifted, and so has every other cloud where I have done the same thing. A redeemed drunkard has many hard things to face, and so had I. A drunkard is always a liar, and I was no exception. It is a fatal thing if a man attempts to carry over his old lies into his new life. Someone always knows all about them. I had one pet lie. I had told it so often that I believed it myself. I am lame in my right knee, having cut it when I was 16 years old. While down in Nashville, Tennessee, during the war, where I went to bring home my wounded brother, I was asked repeatedly how I became lame, and I finally said I got it in the army. The attitude of everyone was changed toward me at once. Let's have another drink. I do love to treat that lame soldier. I saw that I had struck it rich. My brother knew of my falsehood, and he helped me to tell it sometimes. A soldier generally has some place where he was wounded, and I soon found out how necessary it was. Someone would ask me what regiment I was in, in what division, who was your commander, in what engagement were you wounded. I had chosen the Battle of Stone River, Tennessee as the scene of my calamity, and sometimes in a bar room I would be asked whereabouts on the field was my regiment engaged. At last I bought a short history of the Battle of Stone River with a map of the field, for I found that a man had to be well posted, even to be a liar. I had married my wife as a lame soldier, and when she found I was a drunkard and was unable to make a living, she wondered why I did not get a pension. I found this hard to explain and only multiplied my lies without number. My wife spoke to my brother about getting me a pension, but he said he could do nothing. When pushed on the subject, I would say that I was irregularly enlisted and irregularly discharged. In fact, there was something irregular about my whole army record. When I was converted, my brother, so I learned years afterwards, said to his wife, if Hop is honest, he will tell his wife about that lie. We little know who is drawing the line over us when we profess Christ. I tremble even now at what might have been the awful consequence had I kept silent about this matter. The first man that took my hand as I rose from my knees the night of my conversion was an ex-prize fighter, Sam Irwin. He hunted me up the next day and the next. He was a roving missionary for Mr. Joseph Mackey, publisher in this city. He was a giant of a man, one of the sweetest souls I ever knew. One day, as we were parting, he said, By the way, Brother Hadley, how did you get your lameness? Without a thought, I said, I was wounded in the army. Is that so? He said, I am glad to hear it, for I am an old soldier myself. And adding that he would see me at the mission in the evening, he took a 6th Avenue car for downtown and was gone. Aha, uh -huh, said my ever-present enemy, the devil. You are a Christian, are you? Why, you can lie as easy as you ever could. Oh, the doubts that came floating over my soul. 
The spirit said, If you are not a Christian, how is it you don't swear or want to drink? Go after him and tell him the truth. I took the next car and followed him, for I knew that he was going to Mr. Mackey's office at number 3 Beach Street, where the wool exchange now stands. I went into the office and asked the clerk if I could see Mr. Irwin. I looked tough, and I suppose the clerk thought I wanted to borrow some money, and he said, No, you can't see him. I must and I will see him. I felt my future through all eternity depended on whether I saw him or not. The clerk walked back into the private office and, coming back, said, Well, go in, but be in a hurry. I went in and found the gentlemen busily engaged with private business, and they were visibly annoyed at the interruption. They did not help me a bit, and I stood there like a fool, not knowing how to begin. Mr. Irwin, I blurted out, I lied to you about being in the army, and I want you to forgive me. I never was in the army in my life. I cut my knee with an axe when a boy. Can you forgive me? They both looked up very much interested, and he said, So you thought you had to come and tell me, did you, Brother Hadley? Yes, said I. Goodbye, and was gone. How the tears of shame rolled down my cheeks as I passed out through the office by the clerk, out in the hall, and down the steps. I am thus explicit reader because I consider this the crucial time in my Christian experience. Up to the moment when I reached the sidewalk, I had been torn all to pieces by Satan and had not received any help at all that I knew of from Jesus. The devil said, You are a fool to give yourself away thus. Why didn't you keep still? No one would have ever known this, and now you have lost the only friend you had. I stood looking around, bewildered, not knowing what to do, when all at once I surely met Jesus there on the sidewalk. The unspeakable bliss of that moment I can never describe. Now, my child, said he, just think of it, see what you have done. Now you will never have to tell another lie all through your life. Is not that grand? When this thought came to me and I fully realized it, I did not walk on the ground any more that day. I was up over the treetops among the clouds. I lit, however, before long and lit hard too. Don't think, reader, that I mean to say I have never told a lie since. I have told many of them and have bitterly repented. But the same precious Savior has come each time and helped me confess and forsake and has fully forgiven all my sins. Six months after this occurrence, I was able to procure employment that enabled me to bring my dear wife home. When taking her to the room I had prepared for a home, I said, before taking off my hat, Now, Lizzie, there is one thing I must tell you before going any further. I always lied to you about being in the army. I never was in the army. I cut my knee in two with an axe when a boy. Can you forgive me? She did forgive me, as a true wife will forgive her husband when he is honest, but she kept looking at me kind of strange, like as if she were not sure but what some other fellow had come in. The next morning she went to see my brother's wife and said, Sister, what do you think my husband told me last evening? He said that he had never been in the army and had always deceived me. What could have caused him to make such a humiliating confession? When my brother came home to his dinner, his wife said, Harry, Hop is converted, sure enough. Why? Did he tell his wife about that lie? Yes, he did, she said. Four years afterwards, I had a pleasure which is given to few missionaries in this world. I saw my own brother come to Jesus in my own mission. Had I covered up that lie, I would have lost my brother's soul and my own. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall find mercy. Proverbs 28.13 In closing this story of God's dealings with me, I wish to sum up with John Newton's wonderful lines. 
in evil long i took delight unmoved by shame or fear till a new subject struck my sight and stopped my wild career i saw one hanging on a tree in agony and blood who fixed his languid eyes on me as near the cross i stood sure never till my last breath can i forget that look he seemed to charge me with his death though not a word he spoke my conscience felt and owned the guilt and plunged me in despair i saw my sins his blood had spilt and helped to nail him there alas i knew not what i did but now my tears are vain where shall my trembling soul be hid for i the lord have slain a second look he gave which said i freely all forgive this blood is for thy ransom paid i died that thou mayest live and thus while his death my sin displays in all its blackest hue such is the mystery of his grace it sealed my pardon too End of chapter 6